Well, good morning. It's good to see you uh, here at Cross Point this morning. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to the 13th chapter of the book of Acts, and we'll be continuing in our uh, study through where we're switching gears as we set up last week. Uh, so far in the book of Acts, everything is really centered around the church in Jerusalem, uh, and then uh, the past couple chapters we were introduced to the church at Antioch, and last week, starting 13, we're back in Antioch again, where uh, the, the church there, uh, the Holy Spirit's focus has set out uh, Saul and Barnabas uh, to a work in which I've called them to do. And so last week we picked it, we ended off in verse 3, it says, when they, uh, after fasting and praying, they had laid their hands on them and sent them off. Now, uh, let's pick up in verse 4 and read through verse 12. Uh, it says, so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia uh, from there, they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at uh, Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. And when they had gone through the whole island, as far as Paphos, uh, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with uh, the, pre the pro uh, proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intel intelligence who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the magician, who's also Bar-Jesus as well, this is the same guy, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Here's something that we'll also see from this text forward, is that now we officially turn from Saul to Paul. His name will we'll refer to him as Paul after this. But anyway, verse 9 says, But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, while or violently, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And then behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. And immediately a mist and darkness full, fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed, and when he saw what he had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Let's pray, Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your word. We pray now, God, that you'll speak to us. God, that you would, as I prayed earlier, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. God, we thank you for your word, and that was we can go to it, and that is still alive today. God, as we're reading these, this narrative of how you use the church uh, to reach the world, God, we pray that today you'll call us uh, to uh, to reach, to, to go, uh, and that we will see our mission field around us this morning. It's in Christ's name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. So in Acts chapter 13, we're finally to the, the first missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas. And so things begin to change a little bit. And so I'm going to pull Luke on you for a moment. I'm going to throw a map up here. Uh, and so uh, I don't have my cool laser pointer like him, but anyway. Uh, and so what, what the red arrows are is you'll see this is the full, this is Acts chapter 13 and 14. So the next two chapters, we're going to be going through the first missionary journey. And so if you look to the far right over here above Syria, that's where Antioch is. Uh, and so uh, that's where we were last week in verses 1 through 3. That's where the church was. And then it says they went down Seleucia, which is the port. They're just south or southwest of Antioch there. And that's the port that they would sell to Cyprus. And so in the text we'll be in this morning, they literally cover from Salamis all the way to Paphos across uh, Cyprus. And then after this, what we'll see in chapter uh, 13 is that they go up to Pamphylia all the way up, up to the city of Antioch, which is another Antioch. Uh, and then in 14, uh, at the end of, sorry, the end of 13, they jump over to Iconium uh, and go down to Lystra and Derby. And we'll spend chapter 14 there, and then they come all the way back around. And we end chapter 14, they go back to Antioch to give a report of the first missionary journey. And so uh, this has been, this is going to be beneficial for me, uh, to be honest with you. I've uh, I didn't grow up in church, and so I've always looked at the maps in the back of the Bible and thought were fascinated. But as a church, what we get to do is we get to walk through this together and actually see how God used this first missionary journey uh, to change the world. Uh, and as we can maybe hopefully see these things, the Bible uh, will become even more alive to us. So anyway, in the text, what we see is that first of all, in verse 4, 
It says that, and so being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went to, down to Seleucia. So they were still in Antioch, went down to the poor, which is Seleucia. And from there, they sailed to Cyprus. If you're taking notes this morning, the first thing I want to point out in this text is the Holy Spirit sends them to Cyprus. And I want to draw your attention specifically to the first sentence of this verse. Is, so being sent out by the who? The Holy Spirit. And that's important for us to catch. Um, right? Because there's a te- in, in verse 3, it says that what happened that? Well, in verse 2, the Holy Spirit uh, told them to set, set aside Paul or Saul and Barnabas, and it says the church sent them out. But here, Luke is going back to the main thing, saying, listen to me, it was the Holy Spirit who had called these men out. It wasn't something the church came up with on their own. It wasn't just something like this was a good idea, but God himself, and this is the beautiful thing about the gospel. This is the beautiful thing about God is that it isn't just about this man-made thing, but it is God who sins. Right? That's, how, that's how Christianity begins, right? That, that we were lost and dead in our sin, but God, what? Sent forth his son. And we see leaving God's mission in the incarnation of Christ. And the same thing goes today is that it is God who's initiating this. It was God who thought about this guy named Sergius Paulus, if you will, that was on the, on the far west coast of, uh, of Cyprus and said, listen, I'm sending Saul and Barnabas out. It is God who's doing the sinning. It is his mission. And I think we just need to take a time out in the book of Acts for a moment because we've been in it so long, uh, really two years-ish, is we need to take a time out for a moment because what happens is we begin to get drawn to these characters, right? These We've drawn to Peter, or we're drawn to now Paul. And what we need to remember, yes, it's the acts of the apostles, but more than that, it's the acts of God and building his church. Like, Saul is, or Paul is one to be followed. It is, it is a teaching for us to listen to. It is, Peter is a great example, if you will. But the book of Acts isn't to magnify them. It's to magnify the God who sent them. It's to magnify the God who saved them and sent them. And so we need to remember that the Acts is a narrative of God, ultimately fulfilling his mission through the church who is under the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, so the Holy Spirit sent them to Cyprus. Why start there? I don't know. We don't really know other than the Holy Spirit sent them there. Uh, we do know this, that uh, it was a home of Barnabas. Barnabas was from Cyprus. We learned that in chapter 4, uh, verse 36, whenever we first get introduced to Barnabas. And it says, uh, thus Joseph, who is also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus. And so maybe it's a natural fit for, for Barnabas to want to go back to Cyprus as well. Uh, but the, the Holy Spirit calls them to Cyprus. Cyprus was the third largest island in the Mediterranean. It's about 90 to 100 miles wide. And so what's really cool about that, in, this, in these short verses, we see these missionaries cover from coastline to coastline. And they started uh, in Salamis, and they ended up in uh, the other side of Paphos. So, so literally, they covered a 90 to 100 miles in these couple verses that we read. Uh, it was settled, Cyprus was settled in uh, the 18th century B.C., and then it came under Roman jurisdiction in 57 B.C., but in 22 B.C., it was organized as a centurial province that was administered by a proconsul. So we asked, who's this proconsul guy? It was ultimately a governor that Rome put in charge here, that the Cyprus had been annexed from Rome, if you will, but it was still under Roman leadership, and so they had a governor, and that's who Paul and, and Barnabas encountered. The major cities uh, uh, of Cyprus was the two that we see. We see Salamis, uh, which is funny. All week long, I wanted to read Salamis. Uh, but anyway, uh, and maybe that's what the people were called. They were called Salamis. Anyway, uh, but uh, the, Salamis was, was one of the big cities. It was the, great, the big port city into the island of Cyprus. Uh, there, there would have been a lot of commerce and, 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 and busyness, if you will. It would have been a, a bunch of different people there. And then you have Paphos, which is on the other side, which was the capital. And about the Cyprus, it was, it was full of paganism and gross idolatry. And I, want us to, I wanted to draw this picture uh, because the context and, who, and, and, and that God sends missionaries here, it's, 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 it's an it's unbelievable thing. Not only was Paphos the seat of the Roman governor, but the center of worship of the Greek goddess Aphrodite, or Venus, uh, Aphrodite was a goddess of sexual love, beauty, and pleasure and procreation. Uh, 
The worship of Venus or Aphrodite was, it was grossly immoral. It was said that she was born from the sea at that very spot. And this foul religion dominated Paphos. Every woman, listen to this, every woman was expected to submit herself at least once to religious prostitution in the temple of Aphrodite. And the money earned had to be offered back to the goddess. Here's the picture. It's the picture of this pagan world of gross and vileness and lust. Listen to me. God sends the gospel to these people. God doesn't just send the gospel to people who are looking out for him. He doesn't just send it to people who have everything that, that everything worked out and they, they're okay in their life. They just need a little bit of help. He sends it to the worst of the worst. And the first gospel uh, uh, mission emphasis or mission journey, he sends it to Cyprus. This makes the gospel unique because in Cyprus, it wasn't full of people that were looking after God. Cyprus wasn't an island that was full of, of good people, if you will. It was an island full of idolatry and immorality, of sexual sin, and it is the gospel that God sends to them. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful that that's, that's the story of our God on mission, is that we don't have to dress up, we don't have to be a certain type of good for the gospel. As a matter of fact, it's in the brokenness that the gospel is sent to us. And so we see that God sends them, the Holy Spirit sends them to Cyprus. The second thing we see in this text is that they preach in the Jewish synagogues as Salamis. We see that in verse 5. So when they got there, it says, when they arrived to Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. So the very first thing they do when they get to the island, which would be on, on one end of the island, they go into Salamis and they begin to go to the Jewish synagogues and they begin to preach. And this is the pattern that we'll see through Paul's missionary journeys. The first thing they usually do is they go to the synagogues. Evidently, there was a lot of Jews there. Matter of fact, we understand that ultimately that the gospel had already reached Cyprus even before Saul and Barnabas. If you remember uh, in chapter 11, Verse 19, it says, And now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. So there was evidently already believers there. Uh, now Saul and Barnabas are sent there. Uh, but evidently there were Jews there already, of not so much that they had synagogues, right? So, so what, so what Paul, Saul and Barnabas would do when they would go into different places, one of the first places they would go to go to synagogues. Why? Because maybe it's because they believed that the gospel came to who? The first the Jew. Maybe the, it was the Jew who heard the gospel first. Maybe they, was, they were going somewhere that they would have a common ground. They were going to people who knew the book, if you would. It was an easier place to have dialogue and conversation. Uh, we don't know exactly why, but what we see is that they go first to the synagogue and preach, and Luke doesn't really give us much other than they went in there and taught the word of God. And also says that John Mark was with them. We wouldn't have known John Mark was with them unless Luke would end, like indicated that. Uh, and it says he just assisted them as maybe that was, he took care of their travel plans. Maybe, uh, maybe he helped them. Some people said he kind of worked, it's kind of like uh, somebody, because he was there, maybe he knew like per firsthand experience of the things of Christ and he would, he would help them, but we don't really, uh, there's not a lot to back that up. But what we understand is he went to assist them on their journey. And he, just newsflash, he doesn't make it long. Uh, and before long, we'll see him coming back home. And so we understand that John Mark's with him. And I, I was, it, it, this is a, just a note of encouragement, or really for me and you, is that they went to a place that there was a common ground. And, listen to me, and, and this idea, listen to me, as, as God sent them, right, the God sending people to share the gospel didn't end when the book of Acts ended. As in God still sends his people to go preach and share the good news. And for many of us, that freaks us out, thinking, how am I going to have a conversation with people that I don't know? Here's a good thing. Start somewhere with a common ground. Start somewhere with people that you know. Uh, start somewhere with people that, that live in the same town as you. Maybe even have the same job as you. Right? Maybe, maybe even have the same hobbies as you. It's a great place for us to start, not just going to the ends of the earth, but where we live, with people we know. That we understand how people operate in Laurel, Mississippi, who better to reach a Laurel person from Laurel than a person from Laurel, right? And so what we see is they go into these places of familiarity to place a common ground, and that's where they start their mission. We all know people, and for them, and they under this idea that 
They understood the Jews. They knew the Bible. They knew the book. They just didn't know God. As in, I, I thought about it like this. We all know people who are close to the things of God, but they're not saved. I think every single one of us would say, yeah, I know somebody in my life who, who know in proximity they're close, but they're not born again. Let's start there. Let's start with people that we know that are in our sphere of influence. Who are these people in your life? Thirdly, in this text, and this is where the bulk of the text, uh, the bulk of the verses are, very quickly, in, verse, in just in two verses, we see them travel all the way from Antioch all the way to Cyprus. We see in the next verse that they spent time uh, in, uh, in Salamis, and then the next rest of the verses, they're already they're 90 miles west of there. And so Luke doesn't give us a lot in the first couple of verses, but in verse 6, we're introduced really that on the island of Cyprus and Paphos, they, are, they, they're, they're, they find an audience and they find an adversary. They find this guy named Sergius Paulus and they run across this guy named Bar-Jesus and they have one who wants to hear them. They have one who wants to disrupt what's going on. They have one who is ready to hear the things of God and they have one who doesn't want to hear the things of God. They have one who's receptive to the gospel, and they have one who is not receptive to the gospel, which is, I'm not going to talk about it, but ultimately is, that's, that's if, we, if, we, if we begin to follow and we actually begin to live out this missional life, if you will, there will be people who believe, and there will be people who don't. There will be people who receive us, and there will be people who don't. And we see it even in this first journey. But what we see is in verse 6, it says, And when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. So first, here's the adversary, Bar-Jesus. And then it says, And he was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus. And so here we have two guys that are introduced into the narrative, one whose name is Bar-Jesus, who's a magician, and one who's a governor named Sergius Paulus. And it says, He's a man of intelligence, and he had summoned Barnabas and Saul, and Saul to hear the word. Does that sound familiar of anything that we've heard in Acts yet? Some pagan who wants to hear the word of God taught. Guy name of Cornelius, right? We've already seen this already where God's working in the lives of even people who don't know him, drawing them, drawing them to him. And, and here we have this guy named Sergius Paulus, who is an intelligent man. He's summoned to hear the word. Can you imagine now for a moment, Saul and Barnabas? And notice in the text, if yours has little headings, it says Barnabas and Saul. Right, and it's not actually not until the next section that we see Paul's name first or Paul's name. And so ultimately, there's a chance, I don't know why I'm talking about this right now, but Barnabas was the, kind of the leader of this group. Saul wasn't quite the leader yet. The Barnabas, who was older and wiser, more mature, probably was the leader. But could you imagine them leaving Antioch, not knowing what was happening, and they go to this island that Barnabas is from, and at first they're doing things that are familiar, but they're probably thinking, Man, nobody knows us. Like, we know we're supposed to go here, but like, how is God going to work? And the next thing they know, they're sitting at the office of the governor of the land. That's, that's, that's unbelievable to me. Like, these guys have no power, now, and they're now sitting with the most powerful man on the island. Anyway, that was fascinating to me. And here we see, again, a pagan who wants to hear the word. So we have this guy named Sergius Paulus, who is the governor there. He was the Roman governor on the island of Cyprus who wants to hear the word. But there's this other guy named Bar-Jesus or Elamus. And what's really funny is that his name literally means son of Joshua or son of the Savior. And so this guy was a Jew who apostatized, if you will, and now he, he made his money by staying close to those who were powerful, uh, that's why he was with the governor, So, because they were very mystical, if you will. And so he made a fortune by just doing weird stuff uh, for this governor, if you will. He, he, was, uh, he was actually it's the word wise man, if you will. And so here you have this guy who has apostatized from Judaism, who now makes all his power and all his money by making sure this governor still needed him. Now, this governor is the one who wants to hear the gospel. So what do we see happen? Is that Bar-Jesus becomes their adversary. We see that uh, in verse 8, it says, But Lamus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, 
opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Here it is, the first resistance on this first journey. And it came in forms of a guy named Bar-Jesus or Lamus. He opposed them. And I love this. So the text starts in verse 4. They were sent out by who? The Holy Spirit. And now to remind us that this is still the work of the Holy Spirit, verse 9, this is what Luke writes. But Saul, who was called Paul, was what? Filled with the Holy Spirit. And so here's what's going on, if I've lost you. They're summoned by the governor, the governor or the proconsul. The proconsul wants to hear the word. Bar-Jesus is trying to disrupt, trying to ultimately, the word is to turn. The, so the proconsul is facing the gospel. What he's trying to do is trying to turn him away from it, actively trying to turn him away from hearing the gospel that these apostles had. How would Peter respond when he's filled with the Holy Spirit is awesome. He says this uh, in, in verse 9, it says, or verse 10, and he said, you are the son of the devil, which is crazy because what does his name mean? He's the son of the what? The Savior. And, and Peter says, no, 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 you're not the son of the Savior. You're the son of the devil. Like you're, and say, and check out just a, almost a harsh. He says, you're the son of the devil. You're the enemy of all righteousness. Now, Paul, time out for a moment. is like, he was full of the Holy Spirit. He shouldn't be talking like that. Right, because the Holy Spirit, it leads us just to talk in, in grace and love. And, and what we see is that, yes, that is the case, but here, in someone who's trying to ultimately make crooked the straight paths of the Lord, we don't see just grace, we see the truth that's spoken here. We see Peter, ultimately the Holy Spirit, calling it out for what it is. Son of the devil, as opposed to his, what his name is, the enemy of all righteousness and ultimately the enemy of God. He says, you're making crooked the straight paths of the Lord. Man, this is a, an incredible verse, a couple of verses here. First of all, I want to show you how these connect. I mean, if you look in verse 8, what is Elamus doing here? He's, he's opposing them, and it says he's seeking to turn. So there's the idea of something turning around. Uh, turning away, and what did he say? He said he's trying to make crooked the straight paths of the Lord. So the magician is ultimately, he's what the, the straight paths, and what we'll see in a second, is that he's trying to disrupt, he's trying to turn, he's trying to make crooked, and it says to, to turn him away from the faith. And again in verse 10, it says, You're full of deceit and all villainy, and you will, will, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? So you make crooked the straight paths by turning people away from the faith. That's what he's doing here. He's, he, ultimately, because what we see is that God had a straight path to the faith for the proconsul. That God has sent some missionaries from 200 miles away to come share the gospel with this guy. And now this guy's actively trying to turn him away. And ultimately, we see this little. And I'll say it at the end, but... Anytime the gospel is being preached, anytime that we are advancing the kingdom, there will be opposition. There will be people who don't want, there will be people actively trying to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord. I've seen churches make crooked the straight paths of the Lord. When we, when we began to add things to when we begin to add things to, to the gospel, whenever we say it's the gospel plus this, we are making crooked the straight paths of the Lord. The straight path of the Lord is to the faith, faith in Christ and Christ alone. And when churches began to add crooked, make crooked the straight paths, we began to do more harm. But the reality is, is in our culture, in, our, in, in, the, in, in the places that God is calling us to go and be missionaries, not in Cyprus, but in Jones County, Mississippi, as we go and preach the gospel, guess what's going to happen? There are going to be people who are trying to make crooked the straight paths of the Lord. I believe in God's sovereignty so much that the reason he, he sent these guys to Cyprus, because there's a guy named Sergius Paulus who was ready to hear the gospel, and God was getting the gospel to him. I firmly believe that God knew God had orchestrated that, but at the same time, there was somebody trying to make crooked those straight paths that God had laid forth. Listen to me. There are people in your sphere of influence that God has placed you in that sphere of influence because God is going to call them to salvation through your testimony, through your witness. Do not be surprised when the enemy tries to make crooked the straight paths to that faith. 
Don't give up on sharing the gospel. Don't give up on, on sharing, your, sharing the word. Don't give up on sharing what Christ has done. Because what we see is that this magician who was crafty was about to be defeated tremendously. And the pro council was going to get saved anyway. Big things I want you to notice here is that being led by the Spirit is both speaking truth and love. Man, when, when Peter opened his mouth, he literally called the guy the son of the devil, the enemy of all righteousness. He calls him vile and evil. And listen to me, I'm not saying that we turned into these people who just tell people they're going to, they need to turn or burn. Or if they're 99% saved, they're 100% lost. Like, that's not the, the, it's not what I'm trying to get to, but this is what I'm trying to say is, in order for people to get the full picture of the good news, they must understand the truth of the bad news as well. That in our culture today that doesn't necessarily want to tell people that they're vile and the enemy of God, that's what we need to be told. We need to be told when my marriage is struggling or things that are happening, and, and it's because, listen to me, we're, we're wicked people. We're evil people. We're sinful people. And we need to tell people, if you don't stop resisting the Lord, then you will spend eternity in a place called hell. I, and I, I love us enough, t- enough, enough to tell you this this morning. Me and Luke and, and the staff we've talked about, it's like, man, we we're praying for God to save. We're praying for God to redeem people. And it's like, how much more clearly can we preach the gospel on Sundays? Like, it's not, it's not that it's about, like, seeing people, but we want people that don't know Jesus to come to know Jesus, and we're preaching the gospel. And I love you enough to say, listen to me, if God has been drawing you, if God has been calling you to salvation, Stop resisting him to trust in him, to call out upon him, and he'll save. Another thing we see just in this interaction with the magician here is that, and we'll say in a second, but that God will clear the way for those who are trying to make it crooked. That ultimately all of our adversaries, all the adversaries of the gospel, will bow their knee to Christ. We see it in a small picture in this story, but we understand that. <laughs> and we've seen it in here that it is futile work to resist against God. It's futile. And here's another thing that I love about this text. It has the Holy Spirit empowered him to talk, is that, he, that God doesn't just send missionaries, he accompanies them. That God isn't just in heaven saying, all right, I've sent Christ. My work is done. It's up to you now. But when he sends us, he accompanies us. He doesn't just send us like sheep without a shepherd. He doesn't just send us into a place that he's not accompanying with us. That, listen, where God has sent you, where God has placed you, he also goes with you. The fourth thing that we see in this text is that God blinds the Lamus and saves Sergius Paulus. Look at verses 11 and 12. And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. And immediately a mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeing people to lead him by the hand. The same God who sins and saves, listen to me, this is the part of being truthful. The same God who sins and saves is also the same God who judges. And this man is trying to make crooked the straight paths of the Lord, and God blinds him for a time, Scripture says. He blinds him, but look at verse 12. But the proconsul believed that in the greatest attempt of the enemy one, of the enemy, and the greatest attempt for him to disrupt, to make crooked the straight paths of the Lord, he was judged, but the one he was trying to keep from the Lord was still saved. He still believed. 
Actually, it says that he was astonished at the teaching, which literally means that what he, what he heard from the apostles and the power that he saw, it shook him to the core. Like it wasn't just something that he could see and move past. It was something that when he saw it, heard it, and experienced, it, it shook him to the core. I wrote it down like this, that God provides the power to defeat the enemy and to save the sinner. So in this first missionary journey, we see, or this first stop in Cyprus, we see them go to familiar places. We also see them face resistance. And this has been a familiar thing we've talked about the past couple of weeks. But notice what Peter called him, the son of who? The devil. It's something that we've seen over and over again is that our battle isn't against flesh and blood. It isn't just from, uh, from the flesh or the physical, if you will. That, but what we see is that this, or this magician was just another pawn in the hand of the enemy, that a spiritual force of, 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 our, of our great adversary, the devil, was he was just moving this man along to try to disrupt what God had going on. But God provides the power to defeat the enemy and to save the sinner. So we see the success in the first journey, stop on the journey. That God took nobodies, if you will, and saved the most powerful man on the island. Through resistance, they persevered. Through resistance, they spoke truth. And God did a work. So what's the application for us today? As John Ryan goes in and comes on up, I'm going to try to wrap this thing up. And I guess before 11, but guess what? We still got Lord's Supper. So anyway. What's the application? And I've said it over and over again, but I'm going to restate it again. At Crosspoint, our core values are that we say we commit to God's truth, God's people, and what? God's mission. That was for you to answer. Let's try that again. Our core values are we commit ourselves to God's truth, God's people, and what? God's And so our objective as we're walking through these, we don't want to just read through this first missionary journey and any of these missionary journeys and just remember the past when God worked this way. We don't want to raise a monument up and say, man, look at Paul and Barnabas going to Cyprus. God's sending them. The application is that God still sends us today. The application of this text is that maybe we're not called specifically to Cyprus, but you're called where you are to be about sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. All of us. We can't read these stories of the missional text and not be living for God's mission. If so, then we're the guy in James who hears the word or looks himself in a the mirror, then walks away and forgets what he looks at. We're not just hearers, but we've got to be doers. And we said we're committing to God's mission, and that means I understand that I'm called. We are sent by God. You are where you are when you're there because you've been sent by God to be there to share of his good news. No matter where you are, no matter what you do for a living, you're there on purpose for God's purpose. God has sent you there. And I truly believe that God has made straight paths to the faith. I believe that God has promised his son a bride from every nation, tribe, tongue, on the face of the earth. And that there are people that all they need is to hear the gospel and they're going to respond because God has made straight paths to the faith. It may come with resistance, but I believe if we actually begin to live out this sent life, that we will actually see people come to know Jesus. That God would use you and he would use me to see people come to know him. I believe that. Not everyone will believe. We're not called to to make the change. We're called to preach the message. To share the good news. And some people will be willing to hear it, and some people will try to make crooked the straight paths. That's not our job. Oftentimes, we don't walk in obedience because we're scared of the outcome. We're not in charge of the outcome. We're in charge of being faithful to what God's called us to do. What's he called us to do? To go, to share the love of Jesus, to preach the gospel. 
We will always face opposition. Believe that. Matter of fact, if <laughs> it's whenever we're not facing opposition, we should check ourselves. Matter of fact, we're going to get to a part later on that there's a guy who the demons weren't really worried about him because he wasn't being effective for the kingdom at all. It's whenever we begin to face opposition, to see opposition, we understand, man, God, God's doing something. The last kind of just take home is that you're sent by God, but God accompanies you and his power will be with you and he always wins. Always. So let's bring it back down to ground level. Do you have a pro-counsel in your life? I'm going to ask these questions a lot as we go through the book of Acts because what we see is over and over again, God's sovereignly putting people in Paul's way. Right? When he goes to Macedonia, there's a name, Lydia, who is a worshiper of God, and all she needed to hear the gospel, and bam, she believed. Here's a story. Here's this guy named pro-counsel who was ready to hear the word. They're ready to hear the gospel. Do you have a pro-counsel in your life? Somebody who God has placed there for you to share the gospel with. Or maybe you're more familiar with the lamus in your life. Somebody who's trying to make crooked the straight path, who's always trying to disrupt. My encouragement to us this morning on that idea that opposition is, just like Peter was able to see that it wasn't him who was the son of the devil. Is to see it in a spiritual sense that every force against God's kingdom is a force of the evil one. That there's a spiritual battle taking place, if you will. I want to encourage you to, to stay faithful in the midst of opposition and trust God to do what he does. The church, I want to ask you, and this isn't me adding to the gospel, this is our response to the gospel and knowledge of Jesus, is are you living in a way that reflects what we see these apostles doing through the book of Acts as in actively preaching the gospel whenever and whenever they can? It's not a guilt trip. It's just a realization that God's even placed in my own life is hey, man, if you're leading this church, not that he talks to me like that, that'd be kind of, hey, man, uh, don't you wish it was like that sometimes? Like, anyway, if you're going to lead this church and you're going to talk about committing to God's truth, that's the easy, that's the easy part. God's, God's people, that comes with its own difficulties, right? But if you're really going to commit to God, if you're going to talk about being committed to God's mission, are you actually personally, individually only be actively sharing the good news. And for me and you, eternity is too real for us to waste time not sharing the good news with people. Like, do we, do we really believe, like, hell is a real place? If so, I pray that, that God would burn within us a desire to not just talk about the things of God and grow in our depth and the knowledge of God, but that to grow in our love to see people get saved see people come into the kingdom. And every person sitting in this room who's a born-again believer, God's called you to that. Because not only is hell real, first of all, if you don't know Jesus, hell is a real place. It's a place for those who have not, it's ultimately it was a, it's a place that all of us should go. A place that's for eternally separated from God place of darkness, of endless despair. And if you don't know Jesus, if you haven't trusted in Jesus, that is your future. 
But just like hell's real, there's another place that's called heaven, and it's real too. And it's where one is, hell is dark, this place is light. Where hell is despair, this place is hope. Because the prince of heaven named Jesus, the very son of God, took on flesh. And he came. And he perfectly lived a life that God, the Father, the Creator, the Judge requires. And he lived it beautifully and perfectly. He came in truth and in grace, Scripture says. But then that perfect man, God man, he died on a cross, bore the wrath of God. the shame, the guilt. He drank the wrath, the cup of the wrath, if you will. And as we sang earlier, but on that third day, after being placed into him on the third day that the stone was rolled away and the, the God-man, Jesus Christ, he resurrected and he defeated, listen to me, listen to me, he defeated hell. He defeated the very grasp and the grips that hell has on mankind. Oh, death, where's your sting? Where's your victory? It is defeated because of Christ Jesus. It's loosed its power. Listen to me. You may go to hell unsaved, but you will not go to hell unloved and uninformed. Because listen to me, Jesus now says, listen to me. You can be forgiven, you can be redeemed. That the Father says, all who come will be saved. Saved from what? The wrath of God. (laughs) A place called hell. And be brought in as, as children, as sons and daughters. Like for me and you, that we should have the, the surges polished for a moment, like thinking through that, that it astounds us, that it shakes us to the core, that God in heaven is that merciful and that loving. And maybe we just need a good dose of the gospel this morning. Sorry, but I'm not sorry. Say, so Justin, we know this. Well, you should, we should know it every Sunday. That is too astounding of a reality for us just to come to church, cross our legs, and, and, pat, and do this. That's too astounding. That's too real. That's too good. That's too unbelievable not to share it with those who don't know it. Why? Because heaven is real and so is hell. And listen to me. Heaven can be where we spend eternity. And heaven is heaven because Christ Jesus is there. We'd rather get an eternity with God forever or we get an eternity separated from God forever. And for some reason, what we see in this text is that God takes two nobodies. One guy, we, the only thing we know about Barnabas is that he was pretty much perfect. We know he was sinful. He was an encourager. But this guy named Saul, who was a persecutor, a blasphemer, the least, uh, the, the most unworthy, that God takes these two dudes Instead of writing it in the sky, instead of just forcing people to end, he takes these two broken dudes and sends them, he entrusts them with this treasure. And what scripture says, the jars of clay, things that are broken. Church, we're called, we're, we're sent to share this good news. But the good news is he don't send us, he, he accompanies us. Wherever you find yourself, God's there with you. And his plan and his will, what we see in this text, will not be thwarted. It will not be prevented. So my encouragement is to go, to share, live intentionally. Start with common ground, the synagogues, if you will. And God may provide you a pro-counsel, but there's going to be a guy named Elemis there who's going to disrupt. But keep staying faithful and sharing the good news because he will win every time and succeed. This morning, we get the opportunity to take of the Lord's Supper together. And I'm excited about it. I'm, I'm thankful we do it.
every month, once a month. As I told somebody the other day, we'll never not take it once a month. If anything, we'll take it more. But we're not going backwards. But I'm excited about taking the Lord's Supper together because we, as a church, get to center around this hope that we've talked about. This body that was broken, this blood that was shed for the salvation and forgiveness of sins. You don't have to be a member of Cross Point to take the Lord's Supper with us. Just be a member of God's people. Be born again. Be a believer. And if you're not a believer in here this morning, no. I'm going to ask you not to take the Lord's Supper. Many multiple reasons. I'm just going to ask you not to because it's not your reality, if you will. But what I do ask you is when, the, when we stand up and we come forward, I want you to pay attention to what's going on. Because I believe that whenever we're taking of the Lord's Supper, ultimately we're, it's such a beautiful picture. That and baptism is a physical picture of the death of Christ and the burial of Christ, resurrection of Christ. And so the way we do it is our deacons will come down in the front. Three of our deacons will be down here with these COVID cups still that we have. I don't know what to call them. They're anyway. They're not they don't have they're not COVID in a cup. We're not giving you COVID in a cup. <laughs> but they'll come down, you we'll come down and we'll get ours and go back and we'll all partake together. But I'm going to pray over us. And Daniel and the team is going to come lead us, and they're going to sing over us. And uh, after I pray, I'm going to ask you to just kind of sit in this moment for a second. Is okay? I go away from script a second. But just kind of sit in this moment, like thinking through the gospel and just how incredible it is that we have the opportunity to herald this great message to carry it with us wherever we go and wherever we are he's with us too like let's just kind of sit in that for a moment this isn't like if you're not sharing the gospel guys this is pointing I'm 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 hoping that we 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 present it in a way that it's not something that to be it's like the greatest honor and the privilege for us to be able to be ambassadors for Christ as we read in Scripture to share. And so let's just kind of sit in that for a moment. So, Dan, y'all go ahead and, I don't know, yeah, y'all go ahead and come up. And John Ryan just will come, kind of play over us for a minute. <clears throat> you just kind of bow your head, close your eyes, and just kind of sit in that for a moment, praying to the Father as we're preparing to take up the Lord's Supper. and. If you don't know Jesus, I want to encourage you to trust in him this morning. I'm not going to make you raise your hand or anything like that. I believe that for you this morning, God is making straight path, the straight path to the faith. Don't, don't make it crooked. Just believe in him. Just trust in him. Call out upon him and he will save you. I'm going to pray and I'm going to sit down and and Daniel just in a moment if you'll just tell everybody stand and we'll get moving and deacons you can go ahead and come down and stand up here and just just a few moments after I pray Daniel's going to get us to stand and you come down and take get your cup and go back to your seat remain standing in a moment. We'll take it together. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your love for us. God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your gospel. Thank you for examples of just ordinary men who were sent out by your spirit to share your good news. God, I pray that we see their example and understand that that's the call we have even now will be people who share your good news with people in any way that we can. God, be with us during this time as we walk in obedience to you of remembering your body that was broken and your blood that was shed. May we do it from a place of, of confession and repentance if we need to. May we do it from a pure heart 
is focused on you and your sacrifice. God, may this time as a church, as we gather, may we not just see Lord's Supper as something that we have to do, but something we get to do with one another. God, if there's anything in our own hearts that we feel like this is mundane or whatever, God, may, may you search our heart and may we confess even the numbness or the callousness towards taking your Lord's, Lord's Supper. May we do it as an act of obedience and a worship and remembrance of what you have done. It's in Christ's name. Continue doing so. If you are prepared, you can approach.